To know wisdom is to revere God. Now, this is amazing. As we look at Proverbs today, uh, this is something we want to pay attention to. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And as we go through the Bible in one year, we're going to focus today on Proverbs chapter one. This is absolutely outstanding. And uh, as we do that, think about what God has spoken to us. It's very important. Now, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's going on? I'm going to be taking a look at the function of a city gate in ancient Israel and Judah, because it's a lot different than today. Ryan? Fear. It's a word used in the Bible hundreds of times. And the question is, why? Why is there so much fear in the Bible? That's what we're going to be talking about today. But the fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge. So we'll talk about that. Janice? My segment is called Excellent and Timeless Advice. All right, very good. Let's open up our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1 and read seven verses as God speaks to us. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. To the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. You know, Proverbs is an amazing book. We begin that book today, and the word actually means words for living. That's very interesting. Proverbs is an amazing book of wisdom. King Solomon is the principal author, though not the exclusive author. He asked God for wisdom to rule God's people. And this book is the fruit of that prayer. There is a vast difference between human wisdom and the wisdom of God. Now, Proverbs was written to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, and to make the wise even wiser. That's Proverbs 1, 4 to 5. You can check that out. Now, we can choose to put God's wisdom in our lives daily as we read his word. Have you read the word today? This book is unique because it teaches us to apply God's wisdom to our lives. Reverence for God and our reliance on Him are presented front and center as the path to life, prosperity, and security. And it is said that a proverb is a short statement that comes from a lot of experience. However, the wisdom of God goes well beyond that. It is always truth in this life and in eternity. Always. The one thing that we have to remember is that the Bible, the Word of God, 
is something that lasts forever. It's been here longer than any of our countries or any of our technology. And yet the technology of God talks to our personalities to help us understand what he's saying to us. Thank you for your Bible guide. If you have one, if you don't write for yours or call, another way you can do it is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, it'll take you to a click on the, the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page for donate. Thank you for your donations. Very much appreciated. Keep us alive and well. Thank you for that. And uh, then what we do from there is take you to a PDF page where you can download the guide as just as we printed it. It's really good. So you're seconds away from being a part of us. Uh, now, we're going to study this today and we're going to pray first. Wisdom. Seven verses from Proverbs 1. We're taking a section of what we read today. So what does this mean? How is it that we are to determine God's wisdom? And how do we apply it in our life? Father, help us today as we read your word to read it from here and apply it to our heart. Teach us your way and teach us your paths. Help us to know what you're doing, Lord. We are here, Holy Spirit, and we are available. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Proverbs 1, words for living, F-O-R, words for living. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. Wow, that's amazing. And that brings me to our first point. To know wisdom is to revere God. Now, look at this. You need to understand that to know wisdom, God's wisdom, is to respect God. That's true. God gives us the ability to become wise and become well if we heed his word. If we read the Bible, if we listen to the Lord, you know, at the end of Matthew, it says, go into all the world and teach the good, uh, all of the creatures uh, what I did for you and how I did it. And so that they can follow and make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. So, we need to listen to the word of God. And today, shockingly, very few people are. But we're here every day teaching the word of God and trying to show people that his word makes a lot of sense. All right, let's go on to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3. To receive the instruction of wisdom, instruction of justice and judgment and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, this is fascinating. We must be ready to receive God's wisdom and understanding. That the Lord promises we will become wise if we listen and follow what he says. I got to tell you something. I've read the Bible over 30 times. And, and let me tell you something. Every time I read it, I'm reading it again. And I'm seeing things I never saw before. Every year I read the Bible, God shows me new things. So when we read the Bible, the Lord helps us to understand what he means and what he says to us. And I tell you something right now, it helps tremendously. You should read the Bible every day. 
Well, let's go on to this passage because this gets very interesting. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. Now listen carefully to what the Lord says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fascinating. The fear of the Lord is a reverent respect for God. We must have a deep love and commitment to the Lord and his will as we as revealed in his word. Again, I ask you, have you read the word of God? Wisdom begins by digesting the word of God. You know, some people, they want to read something and they got it right off the bat. Most people feel that way in our society, in our culture. But let me tell you something. That's not how it works. God shows us and lets us apply his wisdom to our lives on a regular basis through time. God created time to show us how to do that. We use time very differently. We've sped up time, you know, and the youth uh, are worshipped on television and on in the internet. We worship the youth. Well, we're not to worship the youth. We're to worship only God, beloved. We need to remember that. But if you see the commercials and you see all of the things going on, they say, well, if you just do this, if you just buy that, if you just buy that, you'll be happy. No, you won't. You come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, your eternal connection. He is eternal, your eternal connection. And when you know your eternal connection, he does something. He gives you a tie to himself. He comes into your life. His Holy Spirit is there. And suddenly you are alive. You are what we call born again. The words of Jesus in John chapter three, you're born again. And suddenly you begin to see eternity and you begin to see all of the work that's been done. Well, that's the wisdom of God. That's the beginning of the knowledge that you live forever, beloved. And I want to tell you something. We have to pay attention to that. So in our world where there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of people saying a lot of things and everybody's saying, worship this, worship that, what's important, it doesn't matter if it didn't happen in the last 48 hours. What? It's important always because God is eternal and yesterday is just as relevant to him as today. 2001 is just as relevant as today's date. So beloved, keep that in mind. Let us gain the wisdom of God by reading his word and letting him help us to apply it in our lives. It's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today I'm talking about fear. And let's be honest, the word fear shows up more than a few times throughout Scripture. And this has caused a lot of its readers to wonder why there is so much fear in the Bible. I mean, isn't God's Word supposed to provide us comfort and hope rather than fill us with worry, dread, and fright? 
Well, as we study this topic, I want you to keep a key verse from 1 John 4.18 in mind. And it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, if this sounds contradictory with some of the other passages that you've read on fear, just wait. We need to delve deeper. So, let's do it. Fear. It is a word that appears in the English translations of the Bible some 450 times, with approximately 350 of those occurrences in the Old Testament alone. And several of these refer specifically to the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. This fact has caused a lot of readers, particularly non-Jewish readers, to ask why. Why is there so much fear in the Bible? Solving this mystery ultimately requires looking beyond the English and into the Hebrew language behind it. The Hebrew word is yirah, and is much broader in meaning than our English word fear. Indeed, our English word fear narrowly focuses on being afraid. To us, fear is the opposite of trust and is synonymous with worry, dread, or fright. But yirah encompasses a much wider range of meanings, from the negative dread and terror to the positive worship and reverence, and from a mild respect to a strong awe. In fact, there are many instances in the Bible where Yirah isn't about being afraid at all, but instead showing honor and respect. In Leviticus 19.3, for example, we're instructed to revere or Yirah our mother and father. Similarly, in Leviticus 19.30, we're commanded to keep God's Sabbaths and to revere to Yirah his sanctuary. Yirah is also used in a strong positive sense in Proverbs when it declares that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Even though this type of fear refers to a humble reverence and awe due to our narrow understanding of this word, a lot of Christians tend to see it as a negative thing, fearing the punishment that God could give us for our deeds. Of course, we will all stand before God's judgment seat one day, but those whose sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ shouldn't have this kind of fear anymore. Rather, our fear should be a shrinking back in recognition of the difference or holiness of God and the drawing close in awe and worship. To fear the Lord is not to experience a dread that paralyzes all action, but neither is it just a plight respect. It is an attitude of both reluctance and adoration that results in a willingness to do what God says. And according to the teachings of Proverbs, this proper attitude of the creature toward the Creator is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That is, true knowledge and wisdom flow from the fear or reverence of the Lord. Clearly, Yirah isn't exclusively negative. Like many other Hebrew words, it has a double-edgedness to it. It can be either positive or negative, depending on the context. God's enemies fear Him, but His people show Him reverent, worshipful awe. So, as you can clearly see, the Hebrew word translated as fear is a lot broader in meaning than our English word. While it can be in the negative dread and terror sense, it can also be in the positive worship, reverence, and respect sense. And in order to know which meaning is meant in any given passage, you need to pay attention to the context. And understanding the meaning of this Hebrew word also helps resolve any apparent contradictions between these fear passages. I think it's interesting to note that the original scripture in Hebrew in the Psalms uh, tells us much more in the words, the detail words. Uh, that becomes very important as we begin to, to answer these questions. And let me just say that we are dedicating this week to 
children who are being, or, or actually the time to uh, lovelife.org. That's a ministry that helps people who are having to make decisions, women who are having to make decisions about their children and about their babies. And uh, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ for God to help them. Love Life is a great organization and we highly recommend it. Watch us on our prayer meetings and we'll give you more information about it. Okay, Corey, what's going on? All right, so today I'm gonna be talking about the function of ancient cities within Israel and Judah, specifically focusing in on city gates. Because here in Proverbs, and really in fact all over the Old Testament, you're going to read references to events or things happening at the city gate. And I think that you'll find the function of the ancient city in Israel and Judah to be very different than the function of modern Western cities. It's just a completely different organizational structure. So it's really helpful to take a look uh, at these ancient cultures and see what we can learn. Take a look. City gates in the biblical world had many functions. And if you look closely, all of the functions known from history are demonstrated in the Bible. First, we need to understand the layout of city gates. They weren't just oversized doorways. A lot of planning went into their construction, as their most obvious function was defense. They were a natural weak point in the city wall that had to be fortified. Double gates were often employed to solve this problem. There would be an outer gate, a courtyard, and then an inner gate. This double gate system created a public space, its courtyard, that was home to all sorts of interactions. The Bible tells us that the elders of a city sat in the gate, presumably the courtyard. Here, the elders were responsible for facilitating and witnessing business transactions, like Boaz becoming Ruth's kinsman redeemer in Ruth chapter 4. And the elders were responsible for delivering legal judgment. In Deuteronomy, we learn how people accused of crimes would be brought before the elders at the gates, and that if the death penalty was given, it was done right there. This is no doubt one of the reasons that Deuteronomy also admonishes the Israelites to write the laws of God on their gates, keeping those elders on target. Public messages could also be delivered at the gate, and 2 Kings 7 tells us that flour and barley were either sold here or their prices were determined here. Interestingly, archaeology has revealed large public buildings close to city gate complexes. These are sometimes interpreted as stables, but may actually be public storerooms where goods could be purchased. Once Israel appointed a king over themselves, he too had a special spot at the city gate. King David has an interesting history with city gates. What may have been his most humiliating moment happened at one. He faked a severe mental breakdown to escape a powerful enemy. He survived, though, which leads to another unfortunate event later in his life. His son Absalom had launched rebellion against him, initiated by stopping people on their way to Jerusalem's gate to receive David's judgment. David reluctantly launched a counterattack after full war was declared. The Bible is really specific in detail here. David stands by the gate while his entire military walks out to battle, then sits in his seat in the gate, waiting. When he receives the news of Absalom's death, he's overcome and leaves the gate to cry, which is a bad sign for the people. Apparently, the king's authority in the gate after war was essential, so David comes back and resumes his place of authority. Excavations at the northern city of Tel Dan revealed a gate complex dating to the 9th century BC. There was a built-in bench, perhaps where elders would sit. 
But most intriguingly of all, there was a raised platform with decorative stone sockets, likely used to hold the poles of a canopy, a seat fit for a king. So I hope you can see how it would be completely appropriate for the person writing Proverbs to envision wisdom as crying out in the city gates, in these public spaces to anyone who would listen to her. You know, the, the people are coming and going. This is a place of commerce. It's a place of, uh, of uh, politics. It's a place of social exchange. Uh, so it makes perfect sense why wisdom would be envisioned there. It's very interesting because when you talk about the city gates and all of that, you, you see all of these things in the past. Job example, uh, you know, he was mm -hmm. in the city gate. We know that. Sad course, as an elder. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and you see all of this happening. Mm -hmm. And you wonder, but then you understand, okay, that's like the city hall in a sense. That's like the business Yeah, of in the a city. sense, in a sense, except like now today, even at a city hall, we would have to go there, but so much more convenient that in order to get into the city, you had to pass through that area, right? So lots of, lots of traffic flow. Yeah. And it really was the entrance point to the city. That was a real mm -hmm. key because of the walls around the city. Very mm -hmm. good. Thank mm -hmm. you, Corey. Uh, Janice? Well, we're entering the book of Proverbs and it's just jam packed with great words of wisdom. So we're just going to be touching on it today. I called this excellent and timeless advice because just within the first few verses of Proverbs 1, we learn something that uh, is timeless and excellent. Turning to God. We learn that we need to turn to God. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 ends that section with the fear of the Lord. And thank you, Ryan, for your segments on explaining what that fear means. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right away, we are encouraged to turn to God, to learn who He is, that that is the beginning of knowledge, that, that if you don't, if you despise that, you are really, you are a fool. Now, the second thing that we learn right away is to turn away from evil. So the first thing we learn is to turn towards God, to turn our relationship over to Him, to turn our life over to Him, our thinking over to Him so that we can learn and grow in the truth. Then we need to turn away from evil. We learn that in verse 10, my son, and remember, to God we are all the sons of God when we are his children. So it's talking women and men, both. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So that's any temptation. We need to learn to turn away from that temptation. And again, remember to turn towards God. I wanted to bring us into, if some of you say, well, you know, that's in the Old Testament. I know there's a lot of people that say, well, the Old Testament is the old and the New Testament is the new. But you know what? This is one book. This is the Word of God, and we need to take the whole counsel of God. But I also want to bring you to the New Testament, where in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, we read this. Therefore, and this is, this is to the Christian. This is to the one who has said, yes, Lord, I give my life to follow you. I believe that you came. You're the Son of God, that you came, and you died on the cross, and you rose again in three days. And you came to forgive me of my sins, to help me reconcile to God. And now you've given me eternal life that when I pass from this life in this body, that I am in your presence in eternal life. So that's who I'm talking to today. And you can be that person too, if you have never asked Jesus into your heart.
James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 says this, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's that word, though. It's, it's an it's a action word. We have to resist. We have to turn around and flee from him. So let me start again. Therefore submit to God. Give your life to God. Resist the devil. Resist temptations, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross in his death and in his resurrection. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So the excellent and timeless advice just in these first 10 verses even of Proverbs, is turn to God. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then turn away from evil. My son, people, men, women, young people, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So that is what I needed to say today. And I do remember I was talking with uh, a very important and special lady at church a couple of Sundays ago, and I met her wonderful grandson, Joshua. And she reminded me that there are young people who watch the program and that we should be encouragers to the young people. So I want to just say to you today, if you're a young person and you're watching this program and you are reading your Bible daily, I am so thrilled. We are all very thrilled that you are watching and we so are encouraged knowing that you're watching. And if you if you can email us and let us know or write to us the old-fashioned way and let us know that you're watching and you know what we pray for you and uh, we raised our kids you know to to read the bible and we took took them all to church and uh, god is faithful but we do want to encourage you thank you for watching i think it's important to remember that the people the young people uh are the future and Mm -hmm. as, as god tarries you know, the people who are watching the program are building in their life mm-hmm. the growing of God's word. And that is very exciting. So God has a plan for you. You weren't, you know, created by time and chance. You were created by God's hand. So keep that in mind. Love Life is a great ministry. Lovelife.org is where you can find them. That's lovelife.org. And this ministry has taken this week and adopted uh, the the week to help people, help women who are pregnant. And uh, we, we need to help these people because there's only one other alternative. And Father, we pray today in Jesus' name that you would rescue the children. Help them, Lord. Love Life is on the streets now. And help them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.